0: Thanks for being with us on this Sunday morning. Well, in light of some absolutely uh, awful, tragic crashes on roads in B.C., uh, there is a conversation to be had when it comes to excessive speeding and whether or not the punishments fit the crime, if the standards we have in place are fitting for what we're seeing on our roads. Uh, Paul Durashenko is a criminal lawyer. He is with Acumen Law, and he joins us on the line now to talk a bit more about this. Uh, Paul, thanks for being with us.
1: Yeah, it's my pleasure. Good morning.
0: Good morning. Uh, where do we stand right now as far as uh, punishments uh, fitting the crime? Because we do often hear from people uh, involved or who have lost family members in crashes like this uh, that they don't feel like there's enough uh, enough in the law.
1: Well, I mean, there's been a discussion, and it it comes back every now and again whenever we have one of these cases like this, and that is the uh, the issue as to whether or not the marked departure st- marked departure from the uh, the normal driving behavior that one would see as a correct standard, really, when we're dealing with these cases where where there's a fatality. So, for dangerous driving, dangerous operation of a motor vehicle, uh, you have to establish that the driving behavior was a marked departure from the ordinary driving of a you know a, a regular person, sort of objectively viewed. And you know that's a, a different step from careless driving, which we've got under our Motor Vehicle Act here in BC. And so the discussion comes again, you know, people are acquitted of dangerous driving quite regularly because they can't establish that it was a marked departure, that it was significantly different driving than sort of the normal driving behavior you see, just that it happened to have caused an accident.
0: And one of the the bigger cases here in B.C. has been uh, that uh, of a man who he was driving almost 140 K on Oak Street when he hit another vehicle. Uh, The doctor in that vehicle was killed. He didn't. He wasn't found. He was acquitted of dangerous driving, causing death. And I believe in that judgment, the judge even said it wasn't a marked departure, which a lot of people are scratching their heads going, how how is driving 140 on Oak Street not a marked departure of what is considered a normal range of driving?
1: Well, there's precedent for that. There was an accident that took place right in front of St. Paul's Hospital on Burrard in 1992, uh, where the driver of a Porsche uh, sort of went through the intersection when the light turned green in the right-hand lane, then switched into the center lane, and then a pedestrian stepped out, and he struck a pedestrian. Uh, And there was, you know, quite a bit of evidence that it was, uh, that he was driving very quickly. But again, it was like driving that, strangely, you see in Vancouver quite regularly, people driving at fairly high speeds on the road and uh, it's almost it's almost accepted behavior but but th- this decision uh you know with the uh, death of this doctor and uh, high speed on uh, on oak street i mean it's being appealed uh because it is difficult to you know here's where you're drawing the line and it becomes a it becomes a real problem for the courts uh and it's uh, you know potentially something that needs to be revisited see we had it, it, this is going back a long way but back in the 60s they were trying to determine whether or not you could you could have something where where the line was basically between negligence and a criminal offense when it came to governing uh, roads and traffic so the federal government's responsible for writing criminal law the provincial governments responsible for governing the roads and highways and basically they had to draw a line somewhere saying you know more than more than negligence entering in the crim entering into the criminal realm and when they went into the criminal realm they said well if it's going to be criminal it better be a marked departure because you don't really have the mental intent established that you normally have in a criminal law you're just you're just gleaning the mental intent You're, you're, you're you're gathering the mental intent from this from the bad driving from objectively looking at the bad driving so if it's if you're going to objectively look at the bad driving you've got to do it from the perspective of of something that is significantly bad if it's going to be criminal
0: and is that where we see in cases where it's determined that say a street race was taking place or two vehicles were involved in street racing is that an easier one to say that's a that's a departure from uh, normal driving
1: sure because racing is never normal driving on the street it is always a marked departure uh, so when you've got two cars that set out to street race and, you know, a pedestrian steps out or something like that, or they cause an accident going through a red light, then sure, it's a marked departure. There was a, another very famous case that went to the Supreme Court of Canada uh, of a um, of a, a truck driver uh, driving uh, a dump truck on uh, uh, Nelson, and he got to uh, Beattie Street and he ran a red light. And running a red light uh, can be dangerous driving. In that case, it caused a death. Um so there's, a, there's these fine lines that we've got. Uh, the issue is, really, should we be taking um, what we look at as sort of negligent driving, like careless driving under the Motor Vehicle Act, and should there be something in between? Uh, and, you know, this discussion comes up every time, and it, it starts to have some merit when you're looking at cases like this one uh, with the death of this doctor.
0: And do you think then is would there be what would that look like then? And as you said, so the criminal criminal law is is one one area. The province is in charge of overseeing roads and highways. It would there be a way to come up with a separate category?
1: Well, I'm not necessarily advocating for it. I mean, it's something that I see in the media, and I'm you know willing to address it. But there could be something uh, different. The, the this strict adherence to this division between. Uh, federal responsibility and, and provincial responsibility sort of fell apart when we introduced our our uh, drunk driving scheme that we've got in B.C., the immediate roadside prohibition scheme. Uh, that, you know, in the classical analysis would have been a uh, something that would be in the federal realm, you know, driving with a blood alcohol concentration over 80 milligrams. It was something that the federal government has legislated in for years. It's criminal law. And the provincial government came along and said, well, yeah, but the federal government's laws aren't working. Uh, and therefore we've got to be able to come up with something creative and we can't be just bound by what it says in the BNA Act. Um, so we've, you know, let us legislate in this realm. Well, that, you know, that went to the Supreme Court of Canada and the Supreme Court of Canada said, yeah, I guess on that test, uh, something that's a chronic problem that you haven't been able to successfully deal with with uh, criminal legislation, go ahead and, and infringe on the, on the, um, on the federal government's authority to legislate and pass your own drunk driving legislation so on that precedent uh, we've seen a couple of things that have happened I mean on that that precedent has been used to uh, allow the cities to, to create marijuana dispensaries saying that you know marijuana is something that we you know, cannabis is something that we haven't been able to regulate uh, and it could also be used to you know theoretically come up with a provincial offense uh, that is something higher than careless driving something in between.
0: Is it different as well when it goes into the court system? Is it more difficult to prove a charge of dangerous di- driving causing death than dangerous driving uh, causing bodily injury?
1: No, no. I mean, the, the issue is proving the causation, okay? So you can be driving like a jerk all the way down the highway uh, and somebody else can cause the accident. Uh, the fact that somebody's dead or somebody's injured is usually sort of a given uh you know the death is obviously a given the extent of the injuries is a given as well most of the time but the um you know proving causation is still an issue you might be uh, driving terribly on the sea to sky highway uh and you might be dangerous driving all the way and uh, you, you know you might be exceeding the speed limit in a manner that's dangerous you might be driving dangerously on the right hand side of the road but somebody comes all the way across from the left hand side of the road and strikes your vehicle you know causation is still not there to prove that you were the responsibility, you're the one responsible for the death.
0: Hmm. It's, what do we do with it then? Because I think when we've seen more and more high profile cases in the news, there does seem to be an appetite to, to address this or to at least make sure that people who are causing death and are causing bodily injury because of dangerous driving are, are held accountable.
1: Well, I think there's a, a public perception that people's driving is becoming much worse. And, you know, I, I sense that myself. I, you know, maybe I'm not objective as well. I'm a driver too. Uh, and this is a problem and that uh, people feel that they can get away with all sorts of things. You know, the, the, the difficulty we have, if you look, there was a, um, an article in the, or an editorial rather in the Times columnist on the, uh, on the weekend here talking about the significant problem with drinking and driving still in Victoria. Uh, for a while, we had a decline in the numbers when there was uh, a lot of discussion about the immediate roadside prohibition scheme. Now we're uh, eight years into it. The discussion about that law is sort of dead, uh, and we're seeing the numbers climb back up. And basically what it tells you is something that I've been saying for a long time and, and has been studied, and that is education and public enforcement are the keys to to encouraging people to drive better. We really don't do any public education about driving. You know, the government doesn't put up billboards reminding people to stop at stop signs. And they could. doesn't cost a lot of money. It would probably save a lot of lives.
0: Right. But, don't, but people, don't people know that drinking and getting behind the wheel is a bad decision no matter what?
1: You know what? They've had a few drinks and they're sitting there thinking to themselves, uh, I haven't seen any roadblocks in a while. I'm going to take a chance and get home. And that's unfortunate that people think that way. And, you know, you'd wish everybody was making good moral decisions all the time. But the reality is that we have to govern the population. Uh, and uh, if, if if people thought that way, we wouldn't ever have any drinking driving. You know, if people thought clearly about the decisions they were going to make and, and thought about the consequences, uh, they, they wouldn't do it. But they continue to do it. So it's human frailty.
0: Do you think the focus is a little bit off at points, too, in that we tend to hear a lot more about uh, distracted driving and people getting tickets uh, for touching their phone at a red light uh, than we do about exactly that drunk driving or, or stopping at stop signs, uh, what have you?
1: Well, the problem with that is that's uh, the, the ridiculously low hanging fruit for the police to sit behind, a, uh, stand behind a, a sign at a gas station and jump out at people who've got their cell phone sitting on there on their passenger seat and giving them a ticket. That's not encouraging people to drive safely. Uh, And it actually feeds cynicism. And I think you're right, you know, this over um, emphasis on ticketing people in those circumstances doesn't encourage uh, safe driving. And it also just makes people cynical about the process. It, we the, the problems that we have are are really the issues of of collisions at intersections. Uh, that's where collisions take place most of the time. Uh, and red lights have become sort of an option for people. They see amber and they step on the gas. Uh, and it's I think it's got worse. Uh, and I think you know between red lights and stop signs, we don't see much enforcement for that. The cell phone use. I think we all intuitively know that it's unsafe to be looking at your phone when your car is moving uh but the when you're sitting there and you know stuck in a uh in a traffic jam because of a construction uh delay and you pick up your phone most of us are, are sitting there thinking to ourselves really should we be coming down with four demerits on somebody and and drive a risk premium and everything like that uh in those circumstances and most people reasonable people would say no that's a little bit too much the, from the perspective of the of the government and the police they're saying well we want to do it we want to come down hard on people because we want to discourage any connection of you and your phone while you're in the car and you know there's a legitimate argument to be made there but it's it's it, in the end it becomes difficult to rationalize